I'm told that you can hear me better if I talk to this microphone. Again, those in the back fence, are you hearing me clearly enough that you can wave back? Two of you are? Okay, we'll go with that. The uh, passage for today from Romans 15 is um, printed also in your order of service. And I invite you to turn there and listen as I read it out loud. Romans 15 says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. So I entitled this message with words that came from the passage itself, For Our Neighbors Good. We are standing here in our church buildings neighborhood with our neighbors around us um, listening in. We are all going to uh, go home at some point today and sit in our homes, which are in some sort of a neighborhood, whether that be a uh, tight suburban one, small town one, or out in the country where we have neighbors a little farther away. We work with people who we can call our work neighbors. We go to school with those who live around us in the same area anyways. And we do mission in places like the Grimsby Benevolent, Benevolent Fund, the Mission Thrift Store, or the Gleaners. And so, obviously, we are neighbors. And as we think about that today, I think we need to pause and wonder, what exactly does God say to us about hanging around in our neighborhoods? And because I can't give you a PowerPoint presentation today, I am going to give you three points using three words, all which begin with E, and hopefully that way you'll be more able or easier able to remember this. It's embrace, endure, and encourage. Embrace, endure, and encourage. So I found this passage rather striking in the way it called us to just simply accept our neighbors um, as they are. The great commandment, of course, that Jesus gave us when he was asked is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one right alongside of it is, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think we have made it clear over the last number of months that the basic instruction of Scripture for people who follow Jesus is you are on a mission to love your neighbors. And so we continue to dig into what exactly does that mean and what does it look like? Well, the first word, as I said, is embrace. And I think embracing and loving go hand in hand. But I want to suggest to you that there's two parts to this embracing. The first one is we need to embrace Christ. And embracing Christ, loving Christ, is a little more than doing Christian things, right? Embracing Christ is having the kind of relationship with him that you have with someone you love 
you want to talk to him about just about everything. You wonder about his opinion on just about everything. And when you haven't connected with him for a while, you're thinking, I got to get back there. I got to have that conversation. I got to look him up. And in our world, that's reading your Bible and having a time of prayer. Loving Christ is understanding it's a two-way conversation that we meet with Jesus, but we also let him meet with us, that we talk to Jesus, but we also let him speak to us. Embracing Christ, biblically speaking, is also about letting Christ be our example. And the passage today shows a few ways that we are called to let Christ be our example. One is that Christ did not work to please himself. Christ did not work to please himself. It has been said that the church is one of the few institutions that exists for the purposes of everyone except for its members. That the focus of the church is not on what we receive, but on what we are able to do to bring into the community and to our neighbors. Love your neighbors, please them for their own good. It's for our neighbors' good that we actually gather. That doesn't mean, of course, we don't get anything out of this. It doesn't mean that this shouldn't be a wonderful community um, of people living on a journey together. But our product, our focus, that which we want to accomplish over time, has everything to do with the people who aren't paying the bills around here. And again, I'm guessing most of you know that that's true. But I remind you because it's easy to slip into, well, I'm not getting something out of that. And really, God wants to tell you, the better question is, is your neighbor getting something out of that? We are the body of Christ, and so when we embrace Christ, we become him in our community. It is, again, for the benefit of our community. Verse 5 tells us, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And I encourage you, um, particularly when you read through the gospel stories, to pay attention to reflect on what was Jesus' attitude towards people around him. Now, he had the whole range of emotions. There were certainly times he got angry. There was a time when he wept. There were times when he was sad. There was times when he had compassion on people. Our attitude, our response, our reflection to other people um, needs to line up or follow the example of Jesus, whose overall attitude, of course, was called love. And so the third example, um, right after Right after the passage tells us to accept each other, it says, do that just as Christ accepted you. So we watch Jesus and we wonder, how did he respond to people? How did he love people? And that's our example. And so then we're called to also embrace others. We're called to also embrace our neighbors. We put our neighbors before us to build them up. That's what our passage tells us. The people who live right around us here or right around you, wherever your home is, or work around you or go to school around you, those are the people that God wants built up in his name. All right? It's, it's not quite like this, but it's sort of as if God says, I already have you, and since I have you, I want nothing more than for you to experience what I've experienced, says Jesus. I want you to experience the incredible gift of being a sacrifice of love for those who live around you. So I already said that this passage says, accept one another as Christ accepted you. I had a conversation recently with somebody who said, yeah, I know I have to love my neighbor, but that doesn't mean I have to accept them. 
And I say that because I suspect that person was saying something many of us sort of feel. We have this sense that as followers of Christ, we accept people, we love them, but it's also our job to tell them where they're wrong. And I want to suggest to you that this passage is saying to us, you can probably put that second piece away. It's not actually your job to go around telling other people what's wrong in their life. Your job, biblically speaking, is to be like Jesus and accept them. Because you'll notice when you watch Jesus at work in the Gospels that when he received people, they often figured out, they often heard things that challenged them. But for the most part, he embraced the people who most around him thought he should probably reject and push away. And if it helps you to understand this better, think of it in terms of this. How did Jesus accept you? Because that's what the passage says. Accept others the way Christ accepts you. Did Jesus wait for you to be perfect before he accepted you? Did he wait for you to have all your stuff in place before he accepted you? No, Romans 5 tells us, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And parable of the prodigal, as we read a number of weeks ago, while we were yet a long way off, the Father runs out to greet us and embrace us. Now, I think the reason we want to say, yeah, I love my neighbor, but I don't want to just accept them, is, and this is a confession, that the church has sort of taught us that, that our job is to actually judge, that we have the answers and we need to tell everybody else that we have the answers. And I want to suggest to you that we have the person who's an answer, and that's Jesus, and the answer is his love and that he's given to us. But our job of expressing that, accepting love to all those around us does not include, but making sure they know that we know better than they do how to live in this world. I believe the Bible, I believe Jesus calls us to more humility in terms of how we approach those around us, not as those knowing all things, but as those following a leader. Which brings us to the second E, that was embrace. Embrace Jesus, embrace our neighbors. And then the second one is endure. Sort of feels like the other side of the coin. The Bible talks a lot about patient endurance. And again, I want to suggest that we need to endure God. I will explain that as well as endure others. Enduring God is really understanding God has a plan for the world. The Bible is very clear about that. All right? God has preordained and predestined all kinds of things from the beginning. The endurance part is none of us actually knows all the details of that plan. All right? So this is, again, a call for humility. We sometimes get the impression that because we have the Bible, that we know all of God's plan. Because we have the Bible, we certainly know the direction of God's plan. We know the person of God's plan in Jesus. But there's a whole lot of things, for example, end times, that we don't know, even though we have the book um, of Jesus. What the Bible teaches us is this, love and accept your neighbor. And as far as things in the future, you don't know the day or the hour or the time. You know that Jesus is going to win. You know that he is the Lord of the universe. But exactly how things will unfold, we need, again, a whole lot of humility about those kinds of things. And it's striking. You would think that the main reason people would want to come to a church or to a group of people was because they had all the answers. Try this out with your neighbors if you get an opportunity. Try sharing with them that you know who Jesus is. You've embraced him as Lord of your life. You're on a journey following him. 
But there's a whole lot of things that you're not really sure exactly how that's going to work out, but you plan to trust him. I suggest you'll get a whole lot farther in that conversation than in the one where you find subtle ways to tell people what they need to know and that they should think a little bit more like we do. They will find those things along the way when we step out in faith and trust and humility and let God be our leader. So we endure because we don't know all the details of God's plan. We also endure others. And this part comes easy. We all know there's people in our lives that we need to endure. Don't everybody look at Ruth Ann at the same time. And I mean that she's enduring me, not the other way around. That's the way that conversation goes. I better clarify that. The passage starts, bear with the failings of the weak. And that's tricky. Because that automatically already assumes we've decided who is weak. Or assumes that we can use, hey, I'm one of the weak ones, so you're just going to have to put up with that. When I meet weakness in someone's life, I don't know about you, my desire is, how can I help you find a way to find strength, to move on? But recognize that the biblical call is not to be the answer person as much as the person in relationship. Notice how many times when people ask Jesus a question, he didn't just say, oh, that's easy. I'm Jesus. Here you go. He would ask them a question back. He would form a relationship with them and go on the journey with them, a journey that allowed them to discover um, that they needed to follow him and learn a whole bunch of things along the way. Enduring with people is about entering into a relationship, even if they don't meet our expectations at the start or even a long way down the road. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you think you probably could be a little farther on your development journey than you are right now, right? Christ accepted us as we are. He continues to love us as we go on this journey. He calls us to have that same sort of um, attitude to all those around us and to embrace them. And in this time of um, black and white, left and right, separations of people, ghosting, and all these kinds of, of things going on in our world where things seem to be either here or there, we as the Church of Christ have a very simple to understand mission. We need to be the people who can love each other even when there's differences, even when it takes endurance, even when it's hard. And if we live out that mission, you'll be amazed how many more people come to know the truth that Jesus loves them and receive that as a gift for their lives. Embrace, endure, and finally, encourage. Again, because we are always dealing with people who are a little different than we are, encouragement is sometimes tempting to be done in a way that's really veiled judgment. So, for example, we might want to say to somebody who we think needs to have a healthier lifestyle, here's some kale for you. Be careful how you say that. They're probably pretty smart. They might figure out, Oh, you're saying something about my lifestyle. That doesn't mean there's never a time you can say, here's some kale for you. And I have a sneaking suspicion I'm going to be offered a fair bit of kale real soon. But don't make that word of truth happen without deeply experienced love. So my impression is that most people who read the Bible know that phrase, speak the truth in love. My impression is also that we sometimes think that truth's over here and love's over here, and each of us gets to pick which one we like, and then we'll add the other one in. So I'm, I want to be a very 
kind and compassionate person, so I have to make sure I also speak truth. Or, no, I'm someone who just wants to tell people the way it is, but I have to make sure I also love. It's speak the truth in love. It's one statement. It's one thing. If your truth does not come across as love, you didn't do it yet. All right? If you speak truth and it is not experienced as love, you haven't finished it yet. There goes my notes. That'll be interesting. It's okay. So as you work with those around you, as you accept them as Christ accepted you, thank you so much. Make sure that the, uh, the loving that you're doing and the speaking that you're doing is actually combined in such a way that when the person walks away from your conversation, they're saying to you and to someone else, I appreciated that. Maybe that was hard. Maybe that was challenging. But I appreciated that because I sensed that that person actually loves me and told me those things in that kind of a context. Sometimes the endurance is the encouragement. Have you ever been in a relationship where you needed to walk with somebody and you weren't seeing a whole lot of change going on on their end, so whatever you thought you were teaching them wasn't happening? But then they came up to you and they said, thank you so much for all your help. And you may be thinking, and I've thought this, I don't see how I've helped you. I don't see much going on that I would call change in your life. It was actually the fact that you continued to show up to be there. Right? And again, this is how Christ loves us. Some of us right, recognize we probably haven't grown as much as we possibly could have considering all the amazing benefits and teachings we've received in life. But Christ still hangs on to us exactly the way he did on day one when he called us to follow him. And he says, I've got you. I accept you. I endure you. And I want to encourage you. That is Jesus' posture towards us above all else. So the last verse of this passage, which should give you a hint that I'm almost done here, is someone in this community's life verse. Sorry, I can't remember exactly who, but when it came up and they sent it to me, I remember reading it going, that is an awesome verse. I'm going to read it for you again and unpack it a bit. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That's a pretty awesome promise. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. This journey is about saying, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to receive and understand that you've accepted me. And I'm going to go on this journey trusting you. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I happen to know that someone among us lost their above-ground pool. It collapsed. I won't mention Henry and Joanne Corney's name. And I saw in the newspaper that somebody else in our town actually had their pool run into by a car, and they lost their above-ground pool. And I remember a story from my past experiences of someone's above-ground pool collapsing. And any time a pastor hears something three times, it's automatically a sermon illustration. It's just a rule. When an above-ground pool collapses, as you probably can surmise, there's this incredible wave of water that you don't want to be in front of. It will just overwhelm you, and it goes quite a ways, and it goes quite quickly. I think of that when I think of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So 
If you follow Jesus for a long time in your life, then you've probably spent a lot of time doing this, being in a worship service, listening to sermons, studying your Bible, having some version of Christian education and formation, having Christian conversations, all of those things praying, all those things are the Spirit pouring into you. And there needs to be a time when the Spirit so pours into you that it's just a bit too much. It has to pour out of you. It has to overflow from you. The, the sides have to blow off. And that wave of the love that you have received goes out and hopefully doesn't knock down, but at least overwhelms and wettens the person that you're loving, your neighbor, your coworker, the person in your life. God asks us to trust in him, to embrace him, to endure all the things that come from others and from life, right? To receive encouragement and to give that encouragement and in doing all of those things, to allow his spirit to fill us in such a way that it overflows from us into the lives of others. We are doing this outdoor service as a kickoff to this season, to this year. We're doing it right here in the presence of our community, not just because it's a beautiful day, not just because it allows us to have more people, but because we want to recognize there's something that's being poured into this community called Mountain View that needs to overflow into the lives of our community, whether they be right here or wherever you live or work or go to school. Let's continue to pray. Let's continue to seek God, Jesus and his truth, and the Holy Spirit, that they may fill us to overflowing so when the time comes and our pool breaks, we recognize that God has used all that he has fed into us to touch the lives of those who are in our wake, and who are around us in our lives. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you reached out to us and continue to reach out to us exactly where we are and wherever we are. And so we pray, fill us to overflowing, that your spirit through us may be a wave of life and truth of love in our community. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.